The following Downstage Center program was originally broadcast in October 2006. Welcome to Downstage Center, a presentation of XM Satellite Radio and the American Theatre Wing. I'm John von Susten, Program Director of XM28 on Broadway. And I'm Howard Sherman, Executive Director of the American Theatre Wing. Today we say hi to Swoosie Kurtz. Hi, Swoosie. Hi, John. A very versatile actress, both on the stage, Broadway, off-Broadway, some little credits on Broadway, currently appearing in Heartbreak House, the George Bernard Shaw show currently running in New York. Tony Awards for The House of Blue Leaves on the 5th of July, nominations for Tartuffe and Frozen. I count about nine Broadway shows on your resume, plus a ton of off-Broadway film, television appearances. Very versatile indeed. (laughs) Thank you. We try. (laughs) But you are a virgin, so to speak, when it comes to George Bernard Shaw. You've done everybody except him. Now here you are in Heartbreak House. I'm not a virgin anymore. (laughs) 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 Baptism by fire. Is it, is it really the, that tough? I mean, it's a very wordy, very uh, intense sort of a show. It runs like two hours and 45 minutes. It's a tough play to make clear, which apparently, thank God, we're sort of celebrating that we have achieved because people tell us it it comes together as a piece. But it's a tough, tough one to rehearse. Hmm. Well, what is the basic storyline? It's set uh, just before World War One. Mm-hmm. The basic, you know, that's part of the problem. There is really no plot per se, except Uh that this young girl is going to marry this older, rich guy simply for his money. Mm -hmm. And my character is dead set against it and wants her to marry for love and thereby spins the beginning of the plot. But it's really a study in politics and character and... And very funny, as it turns out. And it must have been very funny at the time, back in the, about 1914-15, when it was written and presented mm-hmm. just before the war. But now in 2006, maybe does it take on a different perspective, or is there a lot of truth still to it? I, oh, God. I think it's even more resonant today, John, than, mm. than then. Because now we have the life experience to look back on the First World War, World War II. I mean, the, some of the lines in it are... Well, the arguments, the thoughts. I mean, there's a line about, it's like, one of the characters says, it's like giving a torpedo to a badly brought up child. Who does that remind you of? <laughs> I mean, that could be in the op-ed page well, of a newspaper today. In in rehearsals, was your director talking about explicit parallels to today, or was it really staying within the period of Shaw and just his themes? He didn't really make parallels, except for at the very end, in Act 3, when the Zeppelins come over, and we are so excited, and we hope they come again tomorrow night, because it's the most exciting thing that's ever happened to us. And we go blithely on with our lives, and there's this horrible world war brewing, but to us, it's it's we have a distance on it, so it's sort of romantic and uh, exciting, and we lead well, these dull lives. Well, and, your characters also have a distance on life in a sense because mm-hmm. you're you're the elite, you're society, so you don't really have the same problems as the everyday person. So in that sense, you're kind of aloof right. from things. Mm-hmm. But but really, even not even in society, almost a little outside of it, a little a little off, a little strange. A little bohemian. So as you're playing this bohemianism, there's politics, there's this, how do you how do you create a character in the absence of a clear plot line of what your character wants to achieve? 
Now, that's why it takes so many weeks and such a gestation period. And, oh, God, I mean, how, how, how? Well, you, I just have to go by what the character says because that's all I have to go by. And uh, you just build from there. And, you know, what does she do? What does she say? What is her take on life? Um, how does she move? How does she, what does she, Hazani, my character, Hazani Hushabai, likes to, you know, lob a grenade in now and then and shake people up and turn people upside down and inside out and make them think about the truth of what they really are. And she's, she's tough with people. She, uh, she has a brutal frankness about her, but it's, it's, it's done very directly. So it's not hurtful. It's not cruel. She's also a bit quirky in, in many ways oh, as yeah. well. She's, you seem to enjoy playing quirky characters. <laughs> Somehow I always get cast that way. I don't know why, because I'm pretty much the most boring, normal person you could know. But that's why I like to go as far from myself as possible. <laughs> <laughs> well, when you were cast in this by the roundabout, you had never done Shaw, and they came to you and said, would you do Shaw? Uh, how did you feel about taking that on? I was excited. I, initially, um, I have to admit, I didn't get the play on the page. I, I, I didn't get it, reading it. And I'm usually pretty good at reading plays. I have a pretty good eye, you know, for what works and what doesn't. Obviously, you know, who am I to say, oh, George, GBS, this doesn't work. Um, <laughs> you know, it's his masterwork. It's considered his masterwork. I, I saw... A lot of wisdom in it about men and women, about politics, but I didn't get, I didn't know what there was there to play. And the director, our director, Robin Lefebvre, spoke to me and he, he just said all the right things. And I, I, I saw, okay, well, you know, this may never work or I may never get there, but this is going to be a great exercise in a completely different character for me. Um, She's very sensual, very sexual being. She's she's uh, a flirt. She's a vamp. She's uh, a very wise, ripe, mature woman. And uh, I love to do stuff I haven't done before. And I just I had never I've never played anybody like her. So you're kind of challenging yourself to do it. Definitely. Mm-hmm. I um, read a quote uh say from you saying you should always want to challenge the gods what's the point otherwise is this kind of doing that do you think did i say that yeah you said that uh to liz smith apparently a couple years ago well yeah i i think you know there's that 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 greeting card out that i love it's probably a great quote from some great philosopher but it says do something every day that scares you uh-huh. well I do something eight times a week that scares me <laughs> but is that the case on every show or is it this show well, every show, pretty much, is 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 terrifying. I mean, because because I I choose very selectively. Um, I don't, which I think most you know real actors do. They like to do things they haven't done before, that explore territory they haven't been before, been to before, and um, yeah, I I I just. It's a miracle to me every time it does come together because it's like little pieces all over the rehearsal room and you go, okay, I've got that little piece over there. I think I've got that mastered, but what the hell is that and that and that? Oh, and those three just spilled off the table and those are over there in a pile. And through time and just, you know, like the French say, repetition is rehearsal. 
rehearsal, 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 it, it, it all comes together. I mean, most of the time, knock wood. But, you know, there are some that just never come together. But given Shaw's exquisite writing and our director, Robin Lefebvre, who is fantastic, and this amazing cast, this ensemble that we have, it, it was in pieces for a long time, and then I would say about a week to ten days into previews. We had a nice, long, luxurious preview period. It came together and became one whole unit. But you mentioned Phil Bosco as Captain Shotover, Lily Rabe is in the show, uh, Byron Jennings in the show, Layla Robbins, just a really a terrific cast. That's terrific, terrific. Yeah. Lila and I were in uh, Frozen together, so uh-huh. we're, now we're playing sisters. Slightly different material. Slightly <laughs> different. I want to See, that's what I love, is yeah. going from the mother of a abducted child to this. And does does working with someone who you've worked with previously, does that give you opportunities? Is, does that make it easier, or is it always starting from square one? I mean, no. it's nice to be with people you know, Right, right. Well, I think, of course, it depends on the person, the relationship you have. But with Lyle and me, we were so close during Frozen, and I think it gives you a kind of shorthand. Um, because, quite honestly, I didn't know anybody else in the cast starting out. I mean, I knew of them. I had done an afternoon of Michael Frayn or an evening of Michael Frayn at Lincoln Center with Phil Bosco. But Lila was my anchor. I thought, oh, thank God Lila's in it. I'll have somebody, you know, that I can talk to right away. I won't, you know, because it's always like the first day of school when you go into rehearsal. And um, she's just, you know, amazing and wonderful on stage and off. I also wanted to ask, is as we talk about Shaw and the shape of this play, um, your director made a decision to actually excise a bit of the play. Mm-hmm. There's there's an entire character missing. Was there any discussion about about that decision for all of our real Shaw buffs? Why isn't this uh, this robber? Yes, uh, I know they're going up? to be up in protest about it. I don't blame them. It's the burglar scene is totally lifted out uh, of the third act. You know, there was never any discussion. It was just gone from the beginning. Hmm. And Robin made certain cuts. Um, I mean, one thing he said to me at dinner when we first met I said how do you how do you how do you get a 2006 audience to relate to this material people are used to thinking in 30 second increments with commercials in between and I mean speaking for myself I don't know if I could sit through a three act play quite honest but I'm a Philistine so what can I say <laughs> um, he said well cut 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 he said I'm I'm not in the business of giving lectures on Shaw I'm in the entertainment business and I like that right off the bat so um you know, it's too bad because the burglar scene is a, is a great one. Well, it's sort of the Alfred Doolittle moment it's of the exactly show. It's exactly the Alfred which is one of the problems with it. I mean, I, he said, you know, because Shaw had such a huge success with Pygmalion right before this, he kind of was so worried about how he was going to follow up his huge hit that he kind of put this... He pulled out a greatest hit. <laughs> put, exactly. Mm-hmm. He pulled out the Doolittle card and played that and played it brilliantly. But I'm telling you, it comes at the end of the second act, and it's a three-act play, and suddenly you meet this brand-new character, and you go, oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> so it, the cuts make it fly. It doesn't seem like anywhere near as long as it is. So are you enjoying Shaw now? I am just lusting and luxuriating in it. I am absolutely... I never thought I would have this much fun with it. I thought it would be drudgery, quite honestly. Mm. Um, And it just... You know, when it came alive and the words hit the air and the audience was just magic, that alchemy that happens when 
everything works together. In a way, it's kind of like, at least in my case, it's like Shakespeare. Shakespeare on the page does not, for me, read mm-hmm. well. When mm-hmm. you see Shakespeare, it's totally different. Right. And when I see Shakespeare, then I get it. If I just read it, I don't. Right. And that's, let's face it, that's how a play should be. It's not meant to be read, you know. You're right. Mm-hmm. Good point. But, you know, we've sort of fallen into a trap that even some of the feature stories about the show have been, which is the surprise of Suzy Kurtz, the queen of all of these great new plays, turning up in Shaw. The interesting thing is that you had your training as an actress in London. Exactly. How did you were an Air Force brat? Mm-hmm. How did an Air Force brat decide to train in London? And was that the grounding that makes this really not the surprise that, that people uh, seem to want it to be? Uh-huh, I know. <laughs> um, yeah, I... Well, I want to make one point about what you said first. It's interesting that people just assume because you haven't done something before that you can't do it. That, to me, doesn't... Logic doesn't follow, you know, just because... Some pianist has never played Chopin before. Well, what kind of pianist would that be? But anyway, it doesn't mean he can't play Chopin. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I've never done Shaw before, but I'm doing it now. And, uh, I, yeah, I grew up as an Air Force brat, went to many, 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 many schools, and um, just got the bug in high school. You know, I, I just... I. I missed the shot that made me immune, and, and I, I got the bug, and I... I had to do it, and uh, I went to college for a while, and I had a scholarship, and I just I gave it up. I said I can't. I got I got to study. I got to do what I want to do all day long. I know what I want to do, and so I uh, there were I was just an Anglophile at the time, you know. I had seen Zeffirelli's production of Romeo and Juliet, and which came over here, and I was just, I mean, that combined with, it was, you know, it was the 60s, it was that time that the English were really, their culture was coming into ours so, you know, so influentially, and I just said, I have to go to an English drama school, and everybody said, well, go to Yale, or go to Carnegie Tech, and so I would have actually been much better off doing, because I would have known a lot more people, but I said, no, 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 I have to go to London. They'll give me training that I won't get here. So I uh, I auditioned for Lambda first, and I got accepted, London Academy of Music and Dramatic Art, and and uh, I, I did the course there. I was the only American. They had an American course, but that was a separate course. I was the only American, and I just, you know, we did Shakespeare and Chekhov and all of these things, and uh, I don't think we did Shaw. But definitely that training, I mean, mm-hmm. is, is a great foundation. And so when you came back to the U.S., how did you how did you get into working? You didn't have I, I read a quote where you said you know you might have been smarter if you'd gone to Yale because you'd have you'd have known people definitely. you'd have had connections definitely you know I would have known Chris Durang and Wendy Wasserstein and all these people Sigourney and Merrill all long before I ultimately you ended came up hooking up with them anyway I ended up hooking up with them but you know it, it, it might not have been such a slow climb. Um, yeah. Uh, what was your question? Well, just how did you then get in? You start. You came back, and you really were doing a lot of regional work. I did you regional work. You weren't working here in New York. I did initially. regional work for years. I went to Cincinnati, Manitoba, um, the Goodman in Chicago. I went to Hartford. Um, where else did I go? Oh, Looks gosh. like your first Broadway show actually came out of Long Wharf, production of Long Day's Journey. That was Arvin Brown. 
Well, I wish it had been Long Day's Journey. It was actually All Wilderness. All Wilderness, my mistake. Yeah. Yes. I wish, let's see, was that, was that my first one? I think, yeah, I think that was my first actual Broadway. Right, right. So, mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. that's, is that really what finally, or you had already done Off-Broadway, The Effect of Gamma Rays at that point. Yeah, I'd actually done a, quite a few things by the time I did All Wilderness, um, Off-Broadway and Around mm-hmm. Town, you know, but, uh, oh, but my first actual New York show was Marigold's mm-hmm. Effective Gamma Rays, in which I just had a cameo, really, but then I ended up playing the two main parts for over a year. Hmm. Well, how did you th- get that first show in New York? You didn't have the contacts that you might have if you'd gone to Yale or whatever, so how, how did you get connected with New York? Well, actually, that sort of came out of regional, too. Like you said, Howard, yeah. um, uh, the director, Melvin Bernhardt, of Marigold's, I had actually known at um, Cincinnati and Hartford stage. And he was casting this, and, you know, I had to read and everything, but I got it. And, uh, we worked for $60 a week, and that was at a time when unemployment was $65 a week, tax-free. <laughs> you were taking a pay cut by by working. Yes. Are actors, are we crazy or what? <laughs> Well, well, how did how did you get that first Broadway role then? All the wilderness? first Broadway, um, Arvin Brown, who ran the Long Wharf at that time and did uh-huh. so for so many years, had asked me to do All Wilderness. I'd worked a lot at the Long Wharf, uh-huh. and Arvin asked me to do um, All Wilderness when it was done at Long Wharf. The the whore, the hooker, the other role, and I decided to do a Tom Stoppard play in town instead. And then when they brought it to Broadway, he offered me uh, Mil- Muriel. 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 And I did it. Hmm. You mentioned a moment ago that it took you a while to hook up with people like, like Chris Durang and mm-hmm. Wendy Wasserstein. Can, can you talk about how that came about? Uh, yes. It was um, thanks to the blessed Eugene O'Neill Playwrights Conference in Waterford, Connecticut, which they have every summer. And I believe... Um, the first time I was there, uh, no, no, I was there, it was the second time I was there, and that was when we did Uncommon Women, and that was when I met Wendy, and all of that started, you know. Um, and then they had actually done uh, Chris Durang's The History of the American Film up there, but I I did not do it up there, but when it came to be done in... Um, Again, out of regional. There we go. It's it's a it's a pattern in my life, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, that started at the arena stage in Washington, and I, you know, I read for it and sang for it and everything. Got the role, and then we moved to Broadway a year later. Lasted a few weeks, but it was a great show. Well, History of the American Film was an interesting one because it was actually a show that simultaneously premiered at three regional theaters right. almost at once, mm-hmm. and then came together on Broadway. But certainly. It's it's one that people in regional theater remember as an interesting project. It did not last long here in New York. Obviously, Uncommon Women and Others was was fairly groundbreaking in terms of of really introducing Wendy and and your your castmates in that. I mean, it was an extraordinary group of people that came together to do that show. Do, do you did you understand at the time what Wendy Wasserstein's contributions were going to be? Did you did you have a sense of it, or was just she was a peer who wrote a play and you did it. I think we had a, a little bit of a sense of it at the time because the things that were said about women in the play had really never been said before that I know of. And it was 
startling to me, uh, and it kind of cha- it changed my life. I mean, not only my career, but my life, my view of myself as a woman, of other women, of women in women's place in the world. Um, and but you know, when you're inside something at the time when you're doing it, you don't have that distance on it. You, you you're just kind of doing it, and you're going, "Oh, good house tonight." Oh, you know, can't get a ticket. It's great, <laughs> and. Uh, um, yeah, I mean, I don't think we, we knew the scope of it. It has become since such a kind of legendary production, you know, and then we did it for television, fortunately, so it lives on. But uh, I was so happy to be a, a part of that seminal experience. It's just an amazing piece of work for um, Wendy. May she rest in peace. When you look back on it, then, do you see it from a different perspective as opposed to when you were in it? Because when you're in it, as you said, you were looking at the house full tonight and all that. Yeah. So with time, how do you see it now versus how you may have seen it then? Well, I see it now as being even more resonant to me now than it was then because I have all this life experience now and I can look back and go, you know, I was just a not a kid, but I was pretty young when I did it and... uh the things she said about women in that play have have as opposed to becoming dated have become even more uh vital and and deeply true you know i they should really do well they did a revival of it didn't they but they i always tried to talk wendy into doing a, an updated hmm. uncommon mm-hmm. women you know like do 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 us at 50 do all of the women, where are they, the, those characters, mm-hmm. at a later date? And clearly she wasn't buying it. How did she respond? I have that. She was too busy doing <laughs> other things, you know. And to, to, since we're talking about women, uh, you were also in the off-Broadway, the vagina monologues. Right. And, of course, on television and Sisters. Um, yeah. are, are you attracted to shows about women and women's issues? Or, or do these things just happen? You know, I, I'm attracted to shows in which there's a good part for me. <laughs> uh, whether it's about <laughs> and, women and women's issues or yeah, not. Yeah, I don't, you know, it can be about a serial killer or or uh, whatever, or, you know, a psychiatrist in the case of Huff or whatever. It's, 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 I, and I don't mean that selfish. I always look at who the director is, which is always crucial to me, and the material. I mean, it's really all about the material. And then it's about the woman on the page. Can I, can I bring her to life? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is she a real character? Yeah, can I make her real? Can I can I bring something to the table with this one? Can I can I really and 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 will it make me grow? Will it make me a better actress? Well, one of the shows in which you certainly brought a woman to life was playing the role of Gwen Gwen Landis in the Fifth of July, <laughs> for which you won the Tony, and it was kind of again a little bit of an offbeat character in a very interesting play. Uh, mm-hmm. Tell us a little bit about about what the show was and how how you became involved with it. That was one of those interesting experiences where, you know, it just is handed to you on a uh-huh. plate. I, so many times as an actor, you work and work and work, and you're, you know, climbing up this hill and hill, and you try to convince them you're right, and they reject you, and they pick you out of the door, and you, and this one is just here. Here's this jewel. Would you like to do it? And that was one where I read it, and I knew, oh my God, this is a great part. This mm-hmm. is a great part. In a wonderful play, and they just off. Actually, they had seen me. I heard from Lanford Wilson and Marshall Mason later that they had seen me in uh, Uncommon Women. Mm-hmm. 
So in some cases, one thing does lead to another in life. I always like to think it does, but sometimes it doesn't. But this one did, and uh, they just offered it to me. It was amazing. And and I went into rehearsal. While I was doing another play, I had about, I had approximately 11 days rehearsal before the first preview mm. while I was doing another play. It was insane. And I was just shot out of a cannon. Um, it was just... Um, an amazing experience. They had done it off Broadway, uh, I think, a year before, and you know. So that you weren't was... part of the original Circle no. Rep production. Uh-uh. No, there were I certainly wasn't. some cast changes. Bill Hurt was in it originally, mm-hmm. and then Christopher Reeve, of course, played the role on right. Broadway initially. Right. And so then... there were definitely changes to the family mm-hmm. there. Mm-hmm. So I, yeah, they a lot of them had done it before, so I, but I was new to the the family, and uh, you know, it was just an amazing experience. Uh, blessed blessing, and you you stayed with that show for a while. Yet there was a succession of Ken Tallies coming through that. Well, well I, I mean, Richard Thomas took over for Chris, right? And that was about then it. There were, was, there were a few others after after Richard. Were there but really? I don't, I maybe maybe you had gone I, by that I, point. I went. Um, I yeah, I was in it for just just under a year, I think. Mm-hmm. And I went off to do Love Sydney, but um, great great experience. And then you did, as you say, Love Sydney filled in there the the really interesting comedy series with with Tony Randall ran a couple of seasons. Yeah. Um, and then you certainly came back to Broadway uh, a few years later in another big way, not in a new play, but a play nobody really paid as much attention to the first time around, the the House of Blue Leaves. Mm-hmm. Um, Again, your your memories of of that production, which certainly was was such a, a landmark way of of bringing to life a John Guare play that hadn't gotten its due. Right, right. That that was definitely a landmark production. Um, you know, I had never seen it in its off Broadway incarnation. I did not know the play at all, and it had done really, really well off Broadway qu- quite a number of years before. I mean, it had won awards and and. and this came up, and and they said, um, "Come in, and they wa- they want you to read for Bunny." So, so I read this play, and I thought, "I don't understand a word of this play. I am so lost. I don't know what I'm going to do." And Bunny has all these long speeches at the beginning about the stars and the planets, and I didn't understand a word of it. I thought, "Oh my God!" Well, so I worked on it. You know, worked on the speeches. Went in. I was going to read for Jerry Zachs and John Guerin. Jerry comes out. I'd never met Jerry before. He comes out the hallway. He says, darling, darling, come into my office. You know, Jerry says, listen, we know what you can do with Bunny. Would you mind reading Bananas? <laughs> and I went, oh, my God. Bananas? Who's that? You know, I, I, mean, I was so, I, I had so little time to prepare, and I was so focused on these bizarre speeches of Bunny's that I didn't understand, trying to pretend, you know, let them think I understood he says, go to the ladies' room. Look at, you know, come out. Let us know when you're ready. So I looked at the um, the green latrine speech, the one at the end of Act One, and I talk about not understanding something. I had a clue where to begin <laughs> with that one. But I went in and read it, and they called that afternoon and said, would you like to play Bananas? And, um, you know, working with Jerry Zachs was uh, like taking a master class in acting. It was just mind-boggling. And uh, Stockard and John Mahoney and Julie Haggerty and it was it's Chris Walken and and reopening 
the, the Lincoln Center Theater, which had been lying there dormant for years. And opening the Mitzi Newhouse and then getting this incredible, you know, we were we were the, the, the I always said Melba the Toast of Broadway, you know. We were <laughs> and suddenly we moved upstairs to the Beaumont and then we moved to, you know, Broadway a Broadway theater a few months after that. It was incredible. It was some, you know, just thank you to the the theater well, even, gods for even that. Even though you one. didn't know what the character was and really didn't get it, they must have seen something there in you that uh, you could play the character. Yes. What, what What do you think they were looking for? What do you think you brought to it that they, they they were seeing? I don't know, but I did ask John once, and he said, John Guerra, he said, it was your wrists, something about your wrists. Hmm. <laughs> of all things. You know, John, I don't, I don't know. That Whatever. really clears it up. <laughs> if that, hey, if that's what it takes. <laughs> Whatever works. <laughs> well, if you look at your, your Broadway experience, there's a gap of about a decade between Love Letters, which you did in 1989, 1990, and then returning to Broadway in 2003. In between, there was a little television show called Sisters, which was the early to mid-90s. It was about six or seven seasons on TV. Mm-hmm. You, of course, played the oldest of the four sisters, mm-hmm. Alex. Right. How did that come about, and what was that? What um, was that like being in that show? That came about. It was a it was a pilot, you know, and uh, I was not looking to do a TV pilot at all in those days. I mean, uh, one didn't do a television a, pilot. A, a in those serious days. theater person didn't do television. No, and I, you know, film, and I would do certain television, but I oh, pilot. I don't want to do a pilot, uh-huh. you know. And uh, I heard about this through a couple of people, and. They said it's a very classy project and um, something about they're trying to get Seda Thompson for the mother. And I thought, oh, and I'd worked with Seda in Marigold. And I thought, this sounds really classy. This like, sounds like they're going for good people. And so I called up and, and asked my agents about it. And they set up a meeting with uh, Ron Cowan and Dan Lipman. And it turned out they were both from the theater originally. And uh-huh. they loved me already. And it was like a done deal. And they were the creators of the show. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And they, they, I was cast within days. I was the first one cast. And, and uh, you know, that was that. And I thought, well, I'll be out here in California for a couple of months. Well, six and a half years later, <laughs> my God, who, who knew? Have you, you ever, have you ever been to Winnetka, Illinois, either before or since? No. <laughs> no, I have not. But I hear it's great. <laughs> I love Chicago. So. Supposed to be a nice town. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> so when you were doing television, you weren't doing much theater, I guess. You were well, pretty no, busy. You, or were you still you, doing theater? You re- I did come back, well, actually. There's a couple of key off-Broadway things. Oh, yeah. You know, certainly okay. lips together, teeth apart. Yes, was, was I did. In, in the middle there, was I it not? I did that in the first hiatus. Uh, yeah, Terrence and... McNally. What a great cast. You I know. and Christine Baranski and Nathan Lane and Tony Heal. Yes, yes. It was, it was amazing. And, you know, we started out in the first preview. It was a three-act play, I, I believe, it originally. And it was so thick. I remember the script was so thick. It was like picking up a big volume. Of, and Terrence would kid about it. You know, it was like the first preview, I don't know, it was three hours and 45 minutes long wow. or something. But, <laughs> but it was an amazing experience. It was wonderful. And then I um, then I did six degrees in the I actually that was the first hiatus from Sisters I think was six degrees again with Jerry Zachs and um, but you did leave one out John what's that well it wasn't Broadway but it was a major point in my life one of my most incredible experiences called the Mineola Twins by Paula Vogel uh-huh. actually at the roundabout um, and I played identical twins and 
I was never off stage except for something like 17 split-second wig and costume changes. And uh, that was uh, possibly the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. Just because it was all you all the time? Yeah, I mean, well, it wasn't. I mean, Mo, Mo Gaffney was in it and Mandy Siegfried and two guys who danced. But it was essentially about the twins, I mean, and they went from ages 16 to, like, 55. And you were playing two different characters, mm-hmm. with two twins, mm-hmm. with this different personalities? Myra and Myrna, yes. Uh-huh. One had uh, enormous breasts and one was flat-chested. Other than that, they were... Uh, you know, they both look like me, clearly, but and, very, very different. Hence costume changes. Oh, my <laughs> so God. The knew which was which. The sounds of Velcro backstage <laughs> were, you know, wigs being flipped on and off. It was Joe Mantello directed. It was just a great experience. Well, you know, it's amazing to me. I was starting to scribble this as, as we're talking here. Looking at the major works that you have been in, Wendy Wasserstein, Lanford Wilson, John Guare, Terrence McNally, Paula Vogel. I mean, you have really worked in in the cream of of playwrights. Oh God, I have Chris Durant. I mean, I've Chris been Durant. so lucky. The people I've worked with, I just oh God, I thank my stars every day for that. Because you know, whenever we talk to people, we say, you know, was there a plan? Was there an intent? Do you sit around and you'll only do those? But so many people say, you know, you go where the work is. Well, exactly. You, you, yeah, you can't. I mean, you know, it would be wonderful to have that power as an actor to say, oh, I'm going to do television now. I'm going to do the. You know, well, come on, let's be honest. You, you were candles in the wind. I mean, we go where the work is. And you have to pay the bills, so mm-hmm. you have to work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. In order to do art on Broadway, you know, in order to do Heartbreak House, you have to do a little commerce now and then. Hmm. Meaning like film, that sort of thing, or television? Well, uh, yeah. Yeah, something. Makes some money. As someone who has had the opportunity to create so many roles, Mm -hmm. or in the case of House of Blue Leaves, sort of remake the role years later, do you ever have the opportunity to go see other people do those? Do you ever want to see what other people do with the parts you've played? That's such an interesting question, Howard. Th- there's not much opportunity to to do that now that I think about it because, you know, you know like if you leave a show, if I were to leave a show and somebody took over for me, I mean, I, I would have left for a reason, which means I'm doing something. So I'm trying to think if I ever have... God... I don't think so. I'm trying to think if I ever have. Or you're I mean, just in a city and you say, think, oh, look, they're doing they're doing uh, Uncommon oh, Women. I'll just stop in. You know, and- I don't think so because my fear is that I don't ever want to tarnish my wonderful memory of it if it's not a good production or something. Now, if, you know, I hear somebody's wonderful in it, then I'll go. But it's sort of like what would be the point in a way? Um, I mean, unless you're very, very curious, unless you're – but I, I don't know. I mean – I would certainly love to see people do a role before I did it, and then I would steal everything I could get. <laughs> so, so you would want to go see a show if you were going to either replace somebody or do a fresh production? It would, would depend. To, uh, it would depend. If the person was wonderful, I would definitely want to steal everything I because I only steal from the best. <laughs> but, you know, that's fine. Stealing is good. You make it your own. Yeah, yeah. You do. <laughs> but as John said, for Broadway, there certainly was a hiatus. And then it seems in the past couple of years, we've had a fairly rapid succession because certainly, <laughs> you know, uh, Imaginary Friends and then Frozen and now Heartbreak That's House. True. Is that true. Was, was it a case of you saying, OK, I'm really ready to, to, to get back in there or just this again? 
fortune I, smiled. I think that I was, you know, available for the first time in so many years to do a play. And so we were looking, you know, um, we were definitely looking. And then Imaginary Friends is one of those that fell into my lap. I mean, you know, Nora Ephron calling and saying, how does she like the play? I mean, it was really cool. And Jack O'Brien and Marvin Hamlish and Sherry Jones. And, you know, again, another amazing experience. Just And interestingly, something that was envisioned, obviously, as a fairly substantial project, mm-hmm. whereas Frozen... You oh. went to this small off-Broadway theater to do this terribly dark and and heavy three-character piece, and yet that landed as well. 175-seat house, and, you know, we were making, I forget what we were making, $200 a week or something for a two-and-a-half-month commitment, because we, you know, we all read that play, and it took our breath away, and it was something, you know, just you had to do you had to do and um there was no choice there was no choice about it and it was one of those things where the planets all came together and we opened and tiny little you know shoestring little budget and suddenly you know there were all these people there and Richard Avedon wanted to take our picture and you know it it just It was like a dream because we believed, you know, so many times in life you believe in something so strongly, but then it doesn't translate. But in the case of Frozen, people were, you know, it landed. It really landed. People didn't get up at intermission. I mean, they just, they couldn't speak afterwards. You know, they were just blown away. And that was something where we didn't dream when we went into it. Oh, are we going to move to Broadway? And then when it happened that they want, you know, the powers to be, whatever, wanted to move us, we had to find a theater, we had to do this. And we literally had to do that in a matter of days in order to open before the Tony deadline. Uh, Because it was that time of year and it would have been pointless to move and spend all that money. So I got on the phone and I, this is how much I believed in it. I did something I've never done in my life and I didn't know I was capable of. I personally raised a quarter of a million dollars on the phone. Wow. I know. Howard is dumbstruck. By, and uh, so was I, because I am so not... I've never done anything like so that in my life. So why that play? What what was it that oh made you God. want that to be seen in a bigger way? That play was, to me, like The Guys, which I, also, which I did d- downtown at the Flea with Tim Robbins. That's one of those plays that goes beyond a play. It's about a life experience of this... This pedophile abducting my 10-year-old daughter, my character's 10-year-old daughter. I don't know what's happened to her for 20 years. And then I find out that he, you know, raped and killed her within the first few hours. And then I go and see him in prison. And I show him pictures of her. And, you know, Doug Hughes directing, Brian O'Byrne playing the pedophile, Lila Robbins is a psychiatrist. I mean, this was a, a... like a miraculous experience. A character, again, who attracted me, the play was so compelling, but the character also attracted me, unlike anything I had ever done before. I mean, I had played Lillian Hellman, you know, before that. I thought, well, this could not be a further stretch. And 
this sort of middle class kind of um, repressed English woman who grew and came to forgiveness from this terrible bitterness and this terrible suffering. And uh, that play just blew me away, and that was one of those that just... Because it affected people like an event in life. It wasn't just going to see a play. Unfortunately, it transferred just in time for the nominations, and you, in fact, were nominated. Yes, indeed. In that that role. But, you know, it's interesting because just a few minutes ago you said, you know, actors don't have the luxury of deciding what their opportunities are. And yet here was a moment where you said, you know what, I am going to make the opportunity. You're right, Howard. Yeah. And and now, you know, given obviously the acclaim of the show, it didn't have the longest run. I don't right. know how it made out financially, but is it something you'd be tempted to do again or was that lightning striking in a unique way? You mean do Frozen again or no, do No, in do terms the- of going and and creating your own opportunity. Oh, know? absolutely, and I try to do that all the time. And let me kind of edit what I said about actors doing because you're right. It's in the choices that you make. I mean, that's the only power that we have as actors, really, is to say no mm-hmm. or to say yes. I mean, I could, you know, tell you the plays that I have turned down, you know, just last season. It's it's all about those choices. I mean, you can't, you can't really control what comes your way. You can try for it. You can pursue it. But... You can definitely say yes or no. And and that's the choices. I have been very, very picky and very selective my whole career, even way, way back when I had no right to be, financially or reputation-wise. I was still picky. But would you go out and raise money again if you thought there was a project? Absolutely. Hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I once would talk about choices. I was just something you said reminded me. I was on the way up to the Eugene O'Neill Theater Center. We were all on the bus on the Connecticut Turnpike, and we had stopped at Howard Johnson's for a meal. Right there in Long Wharf. Remember, right, right. And here I was on my way up to do the the O'Neill Conference for a month. And uh, there was some message from my agent, and he called the L.A., the guy in L.A. This was years and years ago. And he said, you've been offered this TV pilot, you know, and he said it's X number of dollars, but I can get them up. And it was already <laughs> quite a bit to me back in those days. I was like, whoa, it had, you know, a couple of zeros in it or uh-huh. however many, you know, it was like, my, you know, coming from the theater, that was like, my God, Monopoly money. I had, had one or two more zeros than theater would have. Definitely. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, I said, I don't think so. He said, well, Susie, are you sure? Don't you want to think about it? I said, no, you don't understand. I'm on my way up to do the Eugene O'Neill Playwrights Conference. He said, yeah, for $50 a week in room and board? I said, yeah, <laughs> new plays. And, in, you know, in my mind, there was no question. It was, so there's a choice. Is there a punchline? Do we know the series you, you know turned down? You know what the punchline is? Yes, the punchline is he said, well, I made them think you were really interested. Now, how do we get out of it? <laughs> and he said, I know what I'll do. I'll ask for a ridiculous amount of money, and they'll laugh and they'll hang up. So he did that and they said, Okay, get this. This is a this is a lesson to whoever wants self esteem out there. They said, Okay. And then he said, Oh my God, what do I do now? So he he, he got us out of it somehow. So cut to a few months later and I was offered Love Sydney on NBC. And they offered a, a very decent amount of money. And my agent said, You know what? 
She just turned down X amount a few months ago at Paramount. Call them, and if you don't believe me, ask them. She turned that down. I don't think she's going to do this for less. <laughs> and were, and, but, you know, it was like something. I wasn't being virtuous when I did it. But here it turns out that because I was following my bliss, right, right. I then was rewarded later by... They had to come up to that money right. that I already turned down. It's strange that your your agent's bluff was then called and it turned out to be a good thing. Isn't that all. amazing? <laughs> I mean, sometimes things work out, you know? Now, you, you, you talked earlier about how you, um, you know, make a determination based on what the material is and who the director is. Yeah. Does that apply just to stage or to television and film as well? Well, you know, it's so funny. They, they don't it's understand in, in, in L.A., like in television, because the first thing I ask when I'm offered something, I say, who's the director? And mm. they go, oh, the, I don't know. The director's not set yet. I go, what do you mean the director's not set? I don't understand that. So who cast you? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Oh, the network. Mm -hmm. The director. Oh, the director. You know, we'll get him or her later. I mean, certainly not in the case of film, but a lot of television, it's set, they cast, and then they find a director. But they also may have different directors for different episodes. It may not be the same director on every episode. Oh, for series, absolutely. But I'm talking about like... You know, a special movie of the week, a, oh, a, okay. a, a one-time thing, um, and you really want to know who you're going to be working with. You know, it's, to me, the director is crucial. Mm-hmm. Any any um, preference, theater, stage versus film versus television? You know what? I really love it all. I uh, I. Well, if, if if your agent called today yeah. and said, "I have three offers for you. One is theater. One oh, is stage. from your mouth. <laughs> one, one is one is television. One is film. They're all good directors. It's all good material. Would it make a difference which medium? Mm. It is? Mm. Maybe there's different number of zeros on the on, uh, definitely. On, on the that, yes, um, there. I think it, I have to say again. I have to go back to my basic belief, which is the material. I have to go with the material. Yes. So, and the people I'm working with. So true. When you go to a movie, you go to a Broadway show, to go to anything, you say, if only it had been a better story, a better script. That's better it. Written. It's all about the story. It right, right. Uh, you know, there's, 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 there's terrible plays and great television and great movies and bad television and great plays. So it's all about how it's done and, the, and the, what you start with, which is the, the material. Well, you're now doing Shaw for the first time, that heartbreak has at the roundabout. Anything that you have not done that you're dying to do, whether it be any material, any writer, any form? Yeah, I um, I want to do a musical. Um, musical comedy? Yeah, I mean, yeah, musical. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, I've gotten my toe in a couple of times. I Well, more than my toe. I worked with Michael Bennett for a year on uh, what was to be his next Broadway musical called Scandal. And I was the leading lady, and it was an extraordinary experience. We did four workshops of it. And um, then he got ill. But, um, and I've sung a little from time to time in a couple of different plays. You know, and I'm certainly not a singer, but but I, I'm an actor who can carry a tune. So, so what's the appeal? So, uh, why, why, if you say you're not a singer, why, why do you really want to do a musical? Oh, well, you know. Oh, I mean, God, the, the overture. Who doesn't want to do a musical, <laughs> you know? God, I, you know, a, a musical for an actress, not, not a, a singer. I certainly don't pretend to be that. And, and, I, and I, I, you know, I think of things every so often. I write them down for my, my, my fictional, my one-woman show that exists only in my mind. <laughs> but maybe, maybe someday... You know, 
Well, now in Heartbreak House at the American Airlines Theater, one of Roundabout's, uh, actually the first production of their current season, the right. 2006-2007 season, running through December 10th. Actually, now the 17th. Extended a week. Mm-hmm. Well, great. Well, Swoosey Kurtz. Notice I'm saying Swoosey. I love that, John. S, not Thank a Z. you so much. <laughs> Thank you. Also called Swoos or the Swoos. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks so much for being with us today on Downstage Center, Swoosey. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Thanks, Swoosey. For the American Theater Wing, I'm Howard Sherman, reminding our listeners that these programs and all of the educational and media work of the American Theater Wing is available online, on demand, for free, from our website, www.americantheaterwing.org. And for XM Satellite Radio, I'm John von Susten for Downstage Center. That's a wrap, and thank you. <laughs>